Please pray with me. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight because you, O God, are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I'm taller than you, said every child ever, when simply standing on something tall enough to look down on you. So what's the value in being taller? Well, it means, it means growth. Doesn't every child, didn't we, when we were children, want to grow up? Rachel and I greet preschoolers and their parents most weekday mornings, except Fridays, and I really enjoy looking um, at children as they come in the door and their, and their parents and looking them in the eye and smiling and saying, good morning. And every once in a while, I, I realize just how far up some of them have to look to make eye contact with me. Of course, this depends on how close I stand to the door, so how close they are to see me. But I was really struck with this the other day as I walked by, I, I don't know, a two or three-year-old. I can't, I can't judge young children that well by their size anymore. But I was so close to this kid, and I realized up close, that can feel really intimidating. But we don't think of it that way. I mean, you're there, you're smiling, you're speaking warmly. How could a child feel afraid of or intimidated by you? Don't take it personally, but you're a lot taller and bigger than the child is. They haven't grown all that much yet. And I wonder if the same principle holds in being followers of Jesus. In other words, can it be intimidating or fear-inspiring for a young or new follower of Jesus to be in the presence, to be close up to an older, more mature follower of Jesus? Have you ever felt intimidated by somebody else's relationship with God? Do you think there's a chance that anybody's ever felt intimidated by your relationship with God? Also, do you think of yourself as a young or new Christian? Or do you think of yourself as an older or more mature Christian? And how much does your answer have to do with how many years you've logged in a church? And how much does your answer have to do with the way that you live your life? Does this sound like something that you need to take advantage of? Get rid of all ill will and all deceit, pretense, envy, and slander. Because if it does, Peter says right after that, like a newborn baby desire the pure milk of the word you are the only one who knows if you should be desiring the pure milk of the word but peter seems pretty clear if you're living in a stage of life where you still have a good bit of ill will deceit pretense envy and slander you're not as mature spiritually as you are chronologically if you know what i mean which is fine. My point today is not about identifying who's spiritually mature and who isn't. You'll have to look elsewhere for that, but I guarantee it's easy to find somebody who's willing to judge your spiritual maturity. It's really easy to lapse into, if you're like me, you're mature. If you're not like me, you're not. It's where a lot of our society lives right now, religiously and politically. 
but I'm not playing that game. I invite you to wrestle with the scriptures and what they say and how the Holy Spirit speaks in your heart to figure out your spiritual maturity. And please, wrestle with your own spiritual maturity, nobody else's. So like I said, I don't want to get into offering you some grid on which you can decide how spiritually mature you are. What I want to do, though, is to invite you to grow. So whatever the Holy Spirit helps you to recognize as your spiritual maturity level, start there and grow. We can leave ill will, deceit, pretense, envy, and slander behind, but it's going to take work. It's going, in fact, to take love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. But we believe growth is possible. In fact, growth is one of our church's core values. This means we not only believe in growth, it's important to us. Here's what we say about it on our website. We strive for the courage to be vulnerable with ourselves and each other to grow. Faith, we continue, is a continual journey to challenge our complacency with God. We want to mentor, teach, and grow new and young believers. We want to grow in fellowship with others. We started this I Will series last week with I Will Worship. Today, we had our second, Grow, I Will Grow. So, will you grow? Whether your growth is desiring the pure milk of the word or you feel ready to go deeper let's grow now did you catch what peter wrote after that part about desiring the, the pure milk of the word he wrote this nourished by it the pure milk of the word you will grow into salvation since you have tasted that the lord is good we will grow into salvation I feel like I need to deconstruct this a little bit because some of us have boxed salvation into simply meaning getting to go to heaven when you die. Now, life after death is a part of salvation, but it's not all of salvation. In fact, it has been said that Jesus was more interested in getting heaven to us than getting us into heaven. If you doubt this, check out Jesus' teachings. Um, you might have a version of the Bible. They're all in red letters. Start there you'll quickly see that Jesus teaches a lot more about how to live here and now than he does about what happens when we die. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, was all about growth in this life, in this world. His understanding of and experience of God was so this life focused that some historians have suggested that, that Wesley and the Methodist movement in 18th century England, may have saved England from the bloody revolution that France had just across the, the uh, channel. I wonder what a fresh 21st century activation of Wesley might look like in our culture. Now, it's going to be challenging because the older we get, the easier it is to get set in our ways. And this is no time to get set in our ways. Because we have this incredible opportunity before us as a church. The opportunity that we have to learn. Take all that we've learned over the last 143 years and let it influence how we start up a new site, new church, new location, new building to be ready to be a new church. We have to grow. Growing is hard work. My kids wake up occasionally in the night 
from growing pains, and they hurt. Do you remember growing pains? Well, growing can be hard work because growing always means taking on some new things and leaving behind some old things. Growing always means taking on some new things and leaving behind some old things. For example, Rachel and I chose last weekend to update our pizza dough recipe. You may know I've had this recipe for pizza dough that's worked for more than 20 years, and it feels weird to say more than 20 years about something, but when I say that it's worked, I mean it's worked. Several appointments ago, I served a church in a small town where with this pizza dough recipe, we fed lunch to the high school once a month. Now, this was a 2A high school, so we're not talking the size of Trinity or Bell, but once a month, this church that worshiped an average of about 120 people fed 40 to 100 teachers and students all the pizza they wanted in the 30 minutes they had for lunch. I got attached to that recipe. And last week, we tried a different one. I can't tell you exactly why, except that doing the same exact thing for 20 years can be tiring. We tried this at home, though, so no adolescents were harmed in the experimentation. And, you know, I like the way the new dough recipe works. I just heard the story a couple weeks ago about our stained glass windows. You can see eight out of ten of them here within the sanctuary. The other two are out in the narthex or vestibule. If you've been here less than 50 years, you may not know that the sanctuary was not built with stained glass in the windows. They were added later. For all we know, though, and for all we've known for the last 40 years or more, they've always been here. But they haven't. Everything is new at some point. And there's always a story behind why now. So you might wonder, why change recipes? Honestly, we weren't dissatisfied with the old recipe, necessarily. But we didn't always get it right. I didn't always get it right. Sometimes I'd forget to add the right amount of salt. That's not helpful. At least once I forgot to add yeast. Very not helpful. I would almost always lose count as I'm pouring the cups of flour into the bowl. I don't think that's going to change with the new recipe. I guess the main reason, though, that we changed is that nothing lasts forever. Nothing Nothing but God and God's love for us lasts forever. Everything else comes and goes. Nothing but God and God's love lasts forever. My pizza dough recipe, I think, suffered the Ecclesiastes 3 syndrome, which is, as you know, there's a reason, there's a season for everything and a time for every matter under the heavens, a time for giving birth and a time for dying, a time for planting and a time for uprooting what is planted, a time for a good pizza dough recipe and time for a new pizza dough recipe. I want to invite you all, unless you've been here more than 50 years, to find somebody who has been here more than 50 years and ask them about the stained glass. Listen to their story. Hear their story. Remember their story because we're planning to take the stained glass with us. And that way, 20 years from now, you can be someone who can tell the story of the stained glass and the church back when it was on Main Street between the highways. 
and you'll be able to tell about all the growing that we've done as a church and all the growing you've done as a follower of Jesus Christ. Tell it from when you desired the pure milk of the word. Tell it about how you've been growing in salvation. Tell it as the story of people who are following God wherever it is God leads them. Tell it as the introduction to the chapter of our church's life that will start in the year 2040. Tell about all these times that we're living in right now have been a part of God finding you and changing you and growing you. Maybe you'll find yourselves telling it in words like Peter used again later in this scripture reading. You yourselves are being built like living stones into a spiritual temple. You're being made into a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. These days, as I've said before, and as you know in your soul, these days offer us this incredible opportunity, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to grow in ways that as a church we couldn't have imagined 10 years ago. And we've had some incredible blessings along the way. Your faithfulness brought us to the point of being debt-free in January 2016. We paid off all the debt the church had early. We didn't know what it was preparing us for at the time, and we had no idea then that we would be receiving and now have received $6 million for our current property, which puts us in this incredible place of starting a building project at Ash Lane with something like 80% of the cost already in the bank. God has blessed us. God is making us into a holy priesthood. That's the reference that Peter makes. It, it takes us back to Exodus 19, and I wish I had time for that this morning. Check out Exodus 19. You know what happens in Exodus 20. Check out 19. God's plan for God's people then and now, people recently delivered from slavery, is to make them a holy priesthood. And priests offer sacrifices. Now, throughout the Bible, sacrifices are different for God's people than for those who aren't God's people. For, for those who aren't God's people, sacrifices are because their gods get hungry and have to be fed. For God's people, sacrifices were to show our commitment, our pledge to God that we mean business, God, when we say thank you for delivering us and for guiding us. And we're at this awesome moment in the history of our church that calls for sacrifice. Our sacrifice will be measured not against anybody else's sacrifice, not against our neighbors, but in our relationship with God and how it grows us. Growing means getting out of our comfort zone. Growing also means progress in our commitment to follow Jesus a bit better today than yesterday. Growing means that we strive for the courage to be vulnerable with ourselves and with others. Because remember that faith is this continual journey to challenge our complacency with God. Growth means that we want to mentor and teach and grow new and young believers, that we want to grow in fellowship together. We're standing at this moment together, this incredible moment, if I could borrow the words of Billy Joel, this is our moment here at the crossroads of time where we hope our children carry our dreams down the line. Our dreams of worshiping God together our dreams of growing together, our dreams of serving the community and our neighborhood together, our dreams of reaching inward for healing, upward for Christ-likeness, and outward for fellowship, our dreams of giving as we have received, 
so that God might bring our dreams to reality. So how do your dreams as a follower of Jesus make you want to grow? I invite you to get specific on that, how your dreams in following Jesus make you want to grow. Get specific on that with God and with a couple people around you that you trust because if, if we don't say these specific dreams out loud, then they get lost. But for now, I want to share at least a couple of points, I think, that broadly, I hope you'll agree, represent our shared desire for growth in our commitment to be part of this royal priesthood that God is raising up to offer sacrifices and to share the good news of Jesus with the neighbors. We all dream of honoring God. We all dream of being part of something that's greater than ourselves. And we all dream of doing things that bless people who matter to us. First, we all dream of honoring God. From the moment of someone's decision to follow Jesus, we want to honor God. We pray for help and growth that our actions our words and our lives will honor God. Right now, as we look toward our new building and what it will take to fund the remainder of our new building, part of our honoring God is praying seriously to God to help us know what our part is. No one of us measuring our part against anyone else's but we ought to measure our part on how it honors God. Now, because some people need a physical, actual reminder, um, we have a commitment card for the I Will Capital campaign that you should have received in your bulletin. You might have noticed it. If you didn't, we'll talk afterwards. Um, it was sticking out, so um, maybe you thought about it as you completed your connection card. This, take this as just a physical reminder as you pray over the next couple weeks, because I want to invite you to seriously and deeply commit to praying that whatever your part of this campaign will be will honor God. And the amount that is, is between you and God or you and your spouse and God. But take this home with you as a tactile reminder to take this before God because we all want to honor God. We all also dream of being part of something that's bigger than ourselves. This future that God has set before us as a church to be a, a beacon of light and hope and love to the neighborhoods around Lakewood Elementary School and to the neighborhoods that we all live in is bigger than we can imagine. The future God has for us that God is inviting us to be a part of is bigger than we can collectively imagine. We all dream of doing things that bless people who matter to us. Some of the people who matter to us will find out we don't even know yet. But our growing as followers of Jesus and as a church opens these ways of blessing others that we can't even imagine right now. Another more general way of talking about our dreams takes us back to the conclusion of this morning's reading from 1 Peter. Here's how he closes the section again. But you, he writes, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are God's own possession. You have become this people so that you may speak of the wonderful acts of the one who called you out of darkness and into his amazing light. Once you weren't a people, but now you are God's people. Once you hadn't received mercy, 
but now you have received mercy. You have become this people so that you may speak of the wonderful acts of the one who has called you out of darkness and into this amazing light. Once you weren't a people, but now you're God's people. Once you hadn't received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So to close, I want to invite you to stand with me as you're able and join me in a, kind of a, a, a paraphrase of the words that we just read in 1 Peter. Please stand as you're able. And join me as you're able. We are people who are God's own possession. We have become this people so that we may speak of the wonderful acts of the one who called us out of darkness into his amazing light. Once we weren't a people, but now we are God's people. Once we hadn't received mercy, but now we have received mercy and we will grow. Please be seated and pray with me. God, we are grateful for your patience with us because none of us have kept up our spiritual growth with our physical growth. But we're grateful, God, that this isn't a time for judgment about that, but a time for us to take stock and by the leading and presence of your Holy Spirit to step into the growth that you have for us. Help us to know, God, that we weren't a people and now we are a people. That we hadn't received mercy and now we have received mercy. Grow in us, God, that we may be your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.